Imagine not knowing what your income would be each week. Financial planning would be a nightmare. More than 90% of Vision's income is free will donations. When supporters commit to monthly giving, it provides greater certainty when budgeting for regular expenses and weighing up new opportunities that arise. And knowing we can rely on regular monthly gifts takes some guesswork out of operating a faith ministry. Monthly givers who share our mission are called Visionary Extra Mile Partners. And right now, you are invited to join this growing group of faithful supporters. The amount of your tax-deductible monthly gift is completely up to you. But what is most important is knowing that you are standing with us to reach Australia with the gospel. To become a Visionary Extra Mile partner, click the banner in the Vision app or go to vision.org.au slash extra mile. It only takes a few minutes, but will have an eternal impact. Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. As you know, we'll often talk about Christian persecution in places that seem a long way away, like the Middle East or China, Africa or North Korea. But a disturbing trend is developing in nations that are our near neighbours. Challenging developments are being monitored carefully by Voice of the Martyrs. Whether it's acts of harassment, violence, abductions, forced conversions, sex attacks or discrimination against Christians, there are signs of change for the safety of Christians in nations close to home. There appears to be a deteriorating situation in South and East Asia, as well as the South Pacific. Tony Benjamin is CEO at Voice of the Martyrs in Australia, and Tony is joining us. Hi, Tony. Welcome along to 2020. Greetings, Neil, and thank you for having me. It's always good to be with you. Tony, what, from your position, and you monitor these things carefully, you've got people in the field and they're feeding back all sorts of things, you're hearing the stories, you've been to these nations, uh, the changing face of persecution in the region more close to home for us. Very much so, Neil, and it's, uh, it's becoming like something we would call a slow burn where it's invading little pockets of the Southeast Asia region without people even realizing it. And I think the biggest culprit in this case in our region is China, the Communist Party of China. And it's occurring and popping up everywhere that we are functioning in, in areas that we didn't really expect, but also in areas where we where it's well known on the uh, mainstream media, where China's just you know, sort of encroaching upon every bit of livelihood and every free space of available land into these regions, and it's pretty troubling. Well, for a lot of us, we might think China's uh, a fair way away. Uh, When we talk about uh, Southeast Asia, there are nations there closer to home. Uh, This is happening significantly. I mean, uh, when we talk Indonesia, uh, when we talk Vietnam, when we talk uh, nations like the Philippines, where there's been a long time of uh, of challenging situations, those sorts of nations are things getting tougher in them as well. We think they are. Yes, we think they are. Um, you know, just something that I always get back to is that 15 years ago, Voice of the Martyrs worked in 38, 40 countries around the world. Now we're working in 68 different countries around the world, and a lot of those countries that we're working in 
are areas that we really didn't expect and that are within our region. So, yes, it is. Definitely it is. Okay, I mentioned in the introduction the sorts of things that happen and when you've got... Uh, aggression against Christian faith, whether it was harassment or violence, abductions, forced conversions, sex attacks, discrimination against Christians, these sorts of things. How do you describe what that type of persecution looks like, Tony? Look, I think everything that you've described and more, um, more meaning um, they get pressured from the local government, they get pressured from their local families, they get pressured from within their local villages and within the towns that they live in, and they just continually increase the pressure. Some of it is preventing kids from going to school. Some of it are people actually losing their land and losing their livelihood and having to leave. Many of it is conflict, like what's happening in the southern part of the Philippines. So there's a number of different ways, and it seems to me that they keep coming up with different ways to make life difficult for Christians living there because they either want the land that's lucrative or they um, the minority as Christians and they just want them kicked out. So persecution takes on a number of different ugly faces. We seem to be seeing more and more of it come up every day where whole governments are pressuring supposed independent governments to denounce Christians being there and get them kicked out. So when you've got a government, uh, governments are not always driven by religious fervor. You've got religious movements in nations and you've got governments, sometimes communist governments, and there are all sorts of things, not just religion, but also these sorts of ideologies like communism uh, that does try to uh, stamp out Christianity, and that pro- poses a threat. Yes, it certainly does. And if you, you know, talking about this region, uh, we can take PNG, for example, where the Chinese government is buying out higher education. So they instilling Chinese ideology by purchasing the educational institutions and enforcing their ideology upon the locals and the students there. Well, that would be disturbing. Listeners hearing that perhaps for the first time, that the Chinese are very influential, uh, spending a lot of money in nations all around the world, but buying higher education. In other words, they're financing higher education in order to propagate a ideological position which will be favourable to communism. Is that the way you'd think of that? Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Most definitely. All right. So uh, when governments are open to this, money speaks loudly, doesn't it? Hard for a poor nation to knock back money that's coming from other neighbours who have a smile on their face saying, we'd love to spend a lot of money in your country, how about we just help to support your higher education and then people who are graduating with engineering degrees and doctors and areas of social science, all of those things can then be influenced by a communist ideal and then that flows through eventually to people who are finding themselves into some levels of bureaucratic power being able to assert influence that's being coming from a, a, a communist agenda. That's, uh, that's very challenging. That is definitely the challenge. And I think it's easy for us to sit in a position of uh, comfort and make disbursements against some of these nations. 
But I think globally, I would think that many of the democracies have actually let them down. And um, and I would put Australia in that basket. There's been a lot of criticism of Australia not really doing enough for the Pacific nations, which has left them vulnerable to countries like China. The U.S. generally has just walked away from the South Pacific and now trying to get back in there, setting up embassies in um, the Solomon Islands and so on and so on. So when you look at it, we have had a part to play in this, I, be, I do believe. So that's, that's one thing for us to be critical of it. But somebody else saw the opportunity, and as opportunistic as the Chinese are, they saw the opportunity and they took it with both hands. Richard Wormbrand said many years ago, many, many years ago, he said, the Communist Party is not waiting until you're comfortable for them to take over. They will take over where they feel they need to and where they want to. So the complacency of us as Australians in this case, or even so as Christians in looking at the the religious or the ideological impact that these um, relationships have got, is going to come at a cost for us. Definitely. That apathy, while we were sleeping, there were all sorts of things that were going on behind the scenes. And, you know, when we talk about uh, communism uh, coming out of China and influence on education, uh, we've even had a touch of that here in Australia, where uh, there are an awful lot of departments in even our sandstone universities uh, that are uh, favourable to uh, understanding all of this Chinese history and uh, and, and in that, of course, uh, the fear is of a communist perspective. So no one is really immune to this, but uh, that these poorer nations are not able to actually say, no, uh, no more money. Uh, we want to be able to take control over our own education. So there's something about having some level of, uh, you know, better financial foundation that can ha- actually be a protection. But if you don't have that financial prosperity, uh, things are not so easy, Tony. That's very true. And if I can just go back a few steps and give you an example of what happened right here in Sydney for us about three years ago, just before COVID, we brought quite an influential um, Christian Chinese person over to share that does a lot of work in China and has spoken out vehemently against the CCP. And we brought him in to speak in Sydney into a Chinese uh, Baptist church and two people turned up. And we wanted to know why, because everywhere else we've had a full-packed house. And some of them said to us that they were too scared to be seen with this person because of fear of reprisal from the Chinese Communist Party. And I'm saying, but this is Sydney, Australia. What are you talking about? Well, such is the influence, and I believe in Victoria it's even worse. So they've got long arms, really, really long arms, and they do wield influence. And one of the ways they've been wielding this influence is through this Belt and Road Initiative, where the Chinese Communist Party are throwing money at these poorer nations to build infrastructure, knowing that they are indebting them to themselves with this funding that they're giving them, which they would never be able to repay. And then they're claiming the asset or they're claiming a part of the land there. So, you know, China has got a real problem at the moment in that they cannot feed their people. So they are looking for a food bowl in which to do so. And that is why there's such a lot of influence with them in the Philippines. They recently had a standoff with the Chinese military against Filipino fishermen. And they've tried to do this all around this region, not limited or restricted to 
the Philippines. In Papua New Guinea, they're trying to build a, a, a base there or a, or a wharf there in an area where there's no value for them whatsoever, which is quite puzzling, but they obviously have an agenda. There's no fishing ground in that area. There's nothing there that they can say is of any value, yet they want to build a deep water port there. So there's all of these goings on and carryings on. And, you know, as somebody that continues to work for Voice of the Martyrs and has been in China for 58 years, shared with us recently, they always have a strategy. And the strategy is not to play fair, but to win. So the ideology will continue to be pushed and pressed and jostled against us. We cannot be timid with this. We just cannot. So while we're talking about government, uh, bureaucracy, investment in infrastructure, uh, even ideologies being perpetuated in education, there's a flow-on effect when there is uh, a communist base for it because communism is a godless system. And uh, when we have a religious system that is Christian, uh, it comes into conflict. So ultimately down the track, that's what you're heading for. And so there are some nations that are already feeling the heat of that and others that will be anticipating some of those sorts of things for the future. So uh, there's something very significant in the intimidation factor that comes uh, when money is used to shape an or, uh, shape a nation in sense here. So intimidation, that's, that's really one of the ways that the persecution begins to bite. That is correct. And if you're looking at China, uh, it's a very uh, unique time for China now because early in October, um, Xi Jinping is trying to go for another term. So obviously the Chinese are muscling and jostling their position so that he can look good enough to get another term. And I just want to go back to something that Richard Wurmbrand says about communism. It says it's the only system in the world that needs an army to keep its people confined to freedom. Yes. That does not say anything. Yeah. Needing an army to keep its people confined in freedom. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Hey, let's uh, just touch on your thoughts here because uh, while we're talking about Southeast Asia, uh, while we're talking about the Pacific, Asia Pacific includes the Pacific, and uh, our listeners will be familiar with the Chinese influence on the Solomon Islands at this time. Um, anticipating what comes down the track because the Islander peoples are very Christianized. There's a wonderful depth of Christian faith there. So when you've got the Chinese communist influence that's coming there, what do you see as something perhaps down the track, Tony? Because somewhere there, there'll be tensions and potentially even conflict, won't there? Yes, there will be. And I think, you know, many of the many of the Pacific or the South Pacific Islands have got a similar trend that exists there in that the church has got a lot of influence and a lot of power that the church yields. But the church also has a lot of land. So this is obviously what the Chinese are after. So the church has formed the greatest threat to the influence of the CCP in these regions. And the Solomon Islands is no different. If you look at places like Fiji, you look at places like Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, and some of the others, the church is the biggest threat and the biggest push against this. So if you look with the Solomon Islands, they've influenced the government. The government seems to be happy to push against the church. 
and with the might and the power of the Chinese and with them supporting the Solomon Islands army and even wanting to equip them and give them tactical training and give them all all of those sorts of influences, the biggest threat to them is the church. So the church is not going to stand up and arm itself against the Chinese or against the government. But I think, sadly, the church will be the loser in all of this conflict if it continues like this. So when the pressure comes from the Communist Party in China to a nation like the Solomon Islands, the church can speak out and say, and be a warning, uh, you know, the watchman on the wall saying, this is not good for our future. But because the government then finds themselves in the middle of being loyal to the call of the church because it's a very Christianized nation, uh, but then seeing all of the money being offered by the Chinese Communist Party, that's where a government can turn against the church. So uh, that's an interesting concept and, and something, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm just processing now, as you might be able to hear. But, but when a government then decides to side with the communists and against the church, you've got all sorts of potential for the sorts of things we describe as persecution. That is correct. And if I can just say something, uh, if you look at Papua New Guinea, for example, most of PNG is under native title. The only other non-native title landowner that has more land than the Chinese is the church in PNG at the moment. That's how they've infiltrated PNG and taken it over. 80% of regional shipping, half of the ports, is China-owned in the PNG. Okay, all of the non-government port storage, most of the airports are under contract with China. That's in Papua New Guinea. So what resistance do you think the Solomon Islands is going to give them? Rowan is on the Gold Coast in Queensland. Hello, Rowan. Welcome. Hi. Uh, just want to say it's a great discussion here. Uh, my name is Rowan, and uh, I'm a theology student. I'm doing Christian ministry and theology, and I have a passion to do missions in Southeast Asia. So I just had a quick question because um, I'm just wondering how is House of the Mata helping people who are being persecuted and how can we help as citizens of Australia uh, with people who are being persecuted? Of course, prayer is of great importance, but apart from that, how can we help and how are you guys helping? Rowan, great question. Tony, how does Voice of the Martyrs function in these nations? Well, Voice of the Martyrs has got a number of, uh, we call them project, project activity, where it's, which is persecution response type activity, where we help persecuted Christians in physical and practical needs. So frontline ministry where pastors are continuing to go out and share the gospel and look after their flock within these challenging countries. We provide Bibles. We provide practical assistance uh, uh, for families of martyrs, uh, people who have had their families killed and still need to survive and have an income. We assist them. So there are a number of ways. And if you go onto our website, which is vom.com.au, you can get a lot more information on what I've just shared. We help in medical situations where people have been beaten and need medical help or they've been just been hurt. So um, there are a number of ways that VOM gets involved um, but in persecution response. 
Rowan, before I let you go, if you've got a moment here, yep. just to let me ask, because you said you're studying theology, you've got in your yep. own aspiration to perhaps, to perhaps uh, pursue some mission work in Southeast Asia. When you're studying yep. theology, does anybody tell you about these sorts of things and how the the political functions and uh, the church coming into conflict with the state? Does any of this come up in discussion? I think, yes, it does. Uh, I think we see it from a biblical perspective, from, you know, the persecution that's happened during biblical times. And I think that's part of our studies where we go on and we talk about persecution that happens in the current times. And to be honest, nothing has changed. Persecution has always been there uh, in churches and people who are doing ministry. So, yes, to answer your question, yes, we we do go in-depth with these kind of uh, information. Uh, Rowan, thank you so much for calling in. A valuable question to put to Tony Benjamin. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to contribute to our conversation. Let's talk about some of the other nations of the Asia-Pacific, Tony. Uh, Fiji, uh, they've, got, uh, they've got their own uh, infrastructure issues and uh, China's involved there too. What are your thoughts on developments in Fiji? Well, Fiji is um, fighting, the the church is certainly fighting for a bigger voice at the moment. There's an election coming up later this year in Fiji. And um, to my mind, the opposition and the church are united in their quest to uh, change the government. And um, this is quite unique. And I know that it's going to be quite an interesting situation with this new um, new election because it will definitely change the face of it. The current government has actually changed the Fijian constitution, which said that Fiji was a Christian country, to now Fiji being a secular country. And that's a major shift for them. So this is the current situation, and the church generally is not happy with that, obviously. Um, And where the church has got so much influence, the church now is trying to get its voice heard. So this election will be very, very interesting. And from the people that I've spoken to in Fiji, who are fairly prominent people there within the government, uh, in the new opposition government, and church leaders are saying that this is probably going to be the most important election Fiji will ever face. So Fiji, which has for so long been known as a Christianized country, and of course they have uh, you know, there's an Indian uh, constituency within Fiji as well, and there's been some tensions between Indians and Christians, but it's been called a Christian country. That little change, you think of it as a little change, don't you? Uh, well, let's just call it a secular country, and there's even an argument that secularism flows in the wake of Christian mission, uh, and there is a sense in which that's true. But then you've got a government who says uh, we're now secular and therefore against the Christians. And so, as you say, constitution changes. And so when you've got these sorts of tensions that develop, it creates an atmosphere or it creates an environment where persecution can take hold. Is this the way it tends to start, Tony? Certainly does, yes. And look, I think I think the 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 scenario in Fiji and the part where they say it's quite a unique um, election this time around is that they're trusting that whoever wins, the win will be accepted by all. Because every time Fiji has got a history of government changes, there has been a coup. 
So I think this is definitely going to be an interesting one, and I think how it develops and how people react to it is going to be quite interesting and telling. But I think it will definitely have a long-term effect. If one side doesn't accept the other's win, there will be problems, and that is how these problems start. Yes, definitely. I think you said the church has significant land ownership in Fiji too, and uh, so you would say that there's a certain strength to the church. Uh, Interesting when you mentioned, and I'll get your thoughts and perhaps some clarification here, where the church is siding with the opposition to change the government. Sometimes we think the church ought to be not siding and being apolitical, above the fray, and bringing a Christian position here. Any thoughts here on just how the church might justify a position like that when they recognise that there is a threat that's coming from the Chinese Communist Party? Well, I think other than uh, Fiji, some of the other nations, I think the the church has got people power. So the church is pushed into a position within their people power. Just remember, there's a number of denominations here, and each one of them react or view their position differently. Um, But I think in terms of the number of people that the church has command, I think there's, there's a reason for them having a say, because they want to keep control of what they have. So them remaining neutral, mm, I don't know about that. I think that's probably in our world it's neutral, but I don't think in many others it is. Yes, secular means far more than neutral these days. Yeah. Now, talk back lines open on 1-800-316-316 if you have a question or a comment about the conversation today. Let's talk about some other nations. Uh, the Philippines. You've been working in the Philippines for a long, long time and uh, I've heard some great stories that you've told over the years. Uh, what are developments there that might be concerning? Well, I think the fact that um, the southern part of the Philippines, which is the Mindanao area, is now still an ISIS-controlled area, um, they still continue to have conflict, although in 2020 they signed a decree with the government that there wouldn't be any conflict any longer. But I think within, there's been splinter groups within the ISIL movement that, are, uh, that, that control that region. Um, it's not only ISIS-controlled, there's also a communist aspect of, or a group that's also influential there and between them and the ISIS control group there's constant conflict. So like in 2021, more than 66,000 people were um, were displaced. They had to flee their homes because of this. And many of these people that flee from that region end up in Malaysia, in places like Kota Kinabalu and Sabah, and end up stateless. So we're working with those people there too who are mainly from the Philippines that now find themselves stateless there. So that region of Mindanao in the Philippines is well known for its challenges. Um, Current information I have is it's not safe for any non-Filipino to go into that region at the moment as I was there recently and was going to travel there. But um, there's there's still a lot of uneasiness and I think with the new Filipino government I don't quite know how that whole situation is going to pan out because um, they want independence from it, and it's been a fight that they've been having from the 16 or 1700s when the Spanish tried to invade there. So there's constant conflict in that region. Christians are being pressured, although the gospel is still getting out. Many are being saved. We're still distributing a lot of literature and material there. We do support a number of ministries in that region, 
And uh, God's work continues in spite of the challenges and the conflict there. Now, I'm just remembering a conversation with you some years ago and talking about the Philippines and this region in Mindanao. And as you say, uh, it's still a partly ISIS-controlled area. I just remember that you actually had a, a mission base that was only a stone's throw from a terror training camp. Uh, is that still the case? Is that still sort of that sort of thing still going on? Yes, it is. And I'd say that there are more terror camps around in the region there now than ever before because of the uh, accord that they have with the Philippines government. Uh, we support uh, a Bible school there, which we've done for many, many years. And every year, 40 students graduate from the Bible school and actually go into the community and are working within that region um, to start churches and share the gospel, which is an amazing feat if you think of the challenges that they face. Um, so they 16 to 18-year-olds that uh, give up 12 months, set their mobile phones aside and television and dating and all of these things to study the gospel, do a... Um, diploma in theology, many of them start churches, many of them start small missions, or many of them slot into the existing churches that they have. But it's a, it's a, it's a commendable thing in that region, which is so conflict-ridden and so infiltrated by the opposition now, meaning the uh, Muslim-controlled uh, part of it, that these students are still you know, diligent, brave, faithful enough, we're going to do a diploma in theology and we're going to go out there and we're going to share the gospel. Absolutely commendable. So more terror camps than ever in Mindanao and with an agreement with the government, things are peaceful at present. This is the interesting thing, though, to touch on, Tony. When there is a trigger that you might say would inevitably come because of uh, activism that happens within these sorts of organisations, so when a trigger eventually comes, that then puts the Christians at great risk, uh, whether it be churches uh, that you know tend to get bombed or burned uh, or those sorts of persecutions against Christians. The trigger point idea, uh, things are allowed to perpetuate, and so you set yourself up, don't you, for eventual conflict? Yes, you do. And, you know, when, you, when you're heading towards Mind, uh, the Mindanao region, let me explain to you what's happened. There are a number of military checkpoints you've got to go through to get in there. So the threat of conflict is ever-present. You know, it's not like it's like you're just driving down the road here. The threat of conflict is ever-present. And the military checkpoints, the military vehicles, they, they arm to the teeth. And everywhere you go, there's a military presence. So, yes, they even expecting something to break it. It's a very tender peace scenario there at the moment that can change at any minute. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Anne in Ballina in New South Wales. Hi, Anne. Welcome. Good morning. I was just listening to you, your conversation, yeah. and I was thinking how interesting that um, there's more Christians. I don't know what the stats are, but there's more Christians now in China than the rest of the world. I think. Well, look, there's um, been huge growth of Christianity in China. 
over this past 30 years. And uh, the estimates uh, that I understand, more than 100 million Christian believers in China. But it's certainly a very vast population, 1.4 billion. So it's it's not necessarily, uh, uh, it's not uh, starting to, to outweigh the rest of the population. But And I'll get Tony's perspective here. The number of Christians, when you've got such dynamic growth as we've seen in China, this creates a perpetual a potential threat doesn't it and that's where the communist party will act to stamp out or control those sorts of christian uh, that that growth initiative any thoughts here for for Anne and the way that she's talking about this definitely yes definitely and the numbers range between um 100 to 130 million uh, christians currently and they say that if if the growth continues and this is by uh, china aid um, they were saying if the growth continues at this current rate by the year 2030, there will be more than 240 million Christians in China, making China the biggest Christian nation in the world. Uh, and that flies in the face of everything that the Communist Party is trying to do there, which is wonderful. It just shows you that Christ's work and God's work will continue regardless of the Chinese Communist Party. Anne in Ballina, thank you so much for your call, Anne. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. So what we're seeing around the world, Tony, is just absolutely incredible growth of the Christian church. Uh, Just over this past week or two, talking about the huge growth of the Christian church in Africa and uh, the changes that are happening there. But when we talk about China and uh, those sorts of potential and numbers by 2050, I mean, it is going to create tensions. It does create violence. It does create a an attempt by governments to contain what they think is a threat to them. This is happening not only in China, but nations around the world. That is very true, Neil. That is very true. And, you know, as the Christian faith continues to grow, we do face the reality that we are Christianity is the most persecuted faith in the world today. And I think that growth is, there's a constant threat to that growth. If you look at places like um, India, you look at places like um, China, as we've mentioned, and Laos and some of these other parts of the world, Pakistan, I mean, there's an absolute revival happening in Pakistan and Iran. So Christianity is growing. People are becoming disillusioned People that are not Christians are becoming disillusioned with the ideologies that they follow and seeing how this living God that we that we follow and that we revere is changing our lives. And, you know, it's always puzzled me, why would somebody kill you for a Bible? Well, obviously, non-Christians understand that there's power in that word that's in that Bible. I think it's time us Christians believe that too, you know. And there's something deeper in there for us Aussies and our attitude to the Bible, not just reading it, but also getting a study of it so that we become so familiar with it that it helps to shape our own lives, our own families, our own communities. Tony, running short of time, just to quickly touch on uh, one other nation we didn't get to mention, uh, Malaysia. In Malaysia, every ethnic Malay is expected to be Muslim. Uh, there's challenges when you get uh, that sort of domination and uh, and then you've got conflict that comes when, when there are those that want to buck the system. Uh, thoughts, uh, any developments you're aware of in Malaysia? Look, I think the government continues to 
put pressure on any of those that have changed their faith to Christianity. And we have existing cases, I just heard of it over the weekend again, where it's virtually impossible for you to change your identity from Muslim to Christian. So that's an ongoing scourge that we have with many of the people that have come to Christ. And this has just been highlighted in Malaysia. But I dare say it's the same in many other Muslim-dominated countries where you cannot change your identity from one to the other. So these are constant challenges that many Muslim background believers face, particularly highlighted in Malaysia. And let us not forget, let us not forget, a few years ago, three years ago now, I presented a document of more than 250,000 names and signatures of people that were asking what happened to Pastor Raymond Coe. The Malaysian embassy in Canberra have still not even replied or had the decency to reply to any of those requests for what happened to Pastor Raymond Coe in Malaysia. Yeah, there are all sorts of underlying uh, controversies and out of those sorts of things even conspiracies as to how things are developing in some of these nations that are our near neighbours. Tony Benjamin, always wonderful insights. Uh, It's a a wonderful history of uh, Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, As you were mentioning, the founder, Richard Wormbrand. Uh, Lots of listeners will know that there was the film that is about his life and uh, get a hold of that uh, when you're visiting the vom.com.au website. But no doubt you'd like a a few more friends, uh, a few more partners uh, because your work continues to expand. Things are getting tougher. Uh, How can people support Voice of the Martyrs, Tony? Well, they can support Voice of the Martyrs, firstly, as you said earlier, by praying for persecuted believers and for the work of Voice of the Martyrs. But to know more, please subscribe to our magazine. We have a wonderful magazine which can, which can keep you informed. It's a free magazine. And in any other way you feel you would like to support our work, you can support our work financially. Please go onto our website, vom.com.au, and have a look at what we do and Touch with us. If you have any questions, please reach out to us. We're more than happy to answer any of your questions. So that website, vom.com.au. Easy to remember, vom.com.au. Tony Benjamin is CEO of Voice of the Martyrs in Australia. Tony, thanks so much for taking time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you for having me, Neil. It's always a pleasure. God bless you guys. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.